All right, good evening, everybody. Tonight we'll be in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. If you want to turn there in your Bibles, 1 Corinthians 11. And we'll pray and we'll get started here. Lord, as we open up your word tonight, um, we pray for your Holy Spirit to be our teacher and guide, that you lead us into truth as, uh, as we're being brought out of the world, as you're conforming us into your image, as we're growing and maturing in our faith, learning more about you. Um, we pray that we'd let you do what you want to do, work on the areas that you want to work on in our lives, encourage us where we need encouraging, help us um, in our areas that we need help, Lord. And we give our hearts to you tonight. We give our minds our full attention to you that uh, we would take this moment and this time that we've set aside for you and, and get everything we can out of it, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. First Corinthians 11 is uh, it's a cultural change that Paul is trying to bring to the the city of Corinth, to the people of Corinth, to the church of Corinth, actually. These are believers that have grown up in a culture a lot like ours, actually. A lot of freedom um, in areas of sin, accepted, encouraged, promoted. Um, and they're getting saved from that, out of that, but living in it still. And so Paul has been careful to take them through many things. Hey, you're bringing some of the world into your faith. Um, there's some things that need to change, some things that God wants to work on, some things you need to know that aren't okay. God had a specific design from the very beginning. Any designer knows that. Any engineer knows that. Anybody that's ever built anything knows that. When you build something, you have a specific purpose, and there's a certain amount of things it can do, and there's a certain amount of things it can't do. I've learned, if you buy one of those Ikea pieces of furniture, that truly the strength is in the sum of its parts. Because if you leave any of them out, it'll collapse. You need lots of glue. You need every peg. You need to make sure everything's twisted. And then, and only then, will that piece stand. And it isn't that it's fragile. It's that the engineers really engineered it to fit into a box first and to function later on, is the idea. Um... I've learned that there are limits to my tools that I buy. Um, I have a pair of vice grips in the door of my truck. I think that's required by farmers to have, so I put that there, not knowing what it was for, but discovered <laughs> later on that I would need them. And it is very good at doing what it does and designed to do, but is not a very good hammer, although I've used it several times as a hammer. And it will work for a hammer for a little bit. And then it will not function as it designed, as it was designed later on, though, because I beat on it so hard or used it in the wrong way. And this is where every believer and maybe unbeliever in the room needs to understand, because this chapter is very counterculture. When God gave us the book of Genesis, when Moses wrote that book for us, it was to let us know the design, the specifications the load rating, the purposes that every person has, the way he did it, the why he did it. He gave us lots of 
explanation. And I think that's important for us to understand because we've moved so far away from Genesis and the intent of the creator, the designer, the architect, the engineer, that we're using our lives in such a way that it was never intended to be used like that. And we're breaking. And we're not functioning like we were meant to function. That's the problem. Sin reveals that. We live our lives and we sin using a wrench as a hammer. And we find ourselves in need of repair. Um, we can't do what we want to do anymore. Things don't function like they're supposed to. And so we come to the repairer, we come to God, and we ask him to fix. Please fix us. We know we've been using ourselves inappropriately. We know we're not a hammer, but there we are, broken. And so we come to God, broken. Now, our tendency as a person, and not to mix my metaphor too much or to, you know, We can tend to go back to doing the things we used to do now that we're repaired. It's kind of hard to go to the toolbox and go find a hammer when that's in your hand at the moment. You know, It's much easier to just do, get it done, and compromise the integrity of what was intended. So when you hear this chapter 11 for the first time as either a new believer, even an older believer who's maybe forgotten, or an unbeliever who's not so sure they want Christ anyway and is totally shocked at what's about to be taught, I'm setting you up, please understand that we are hearing for the first time many times the designer specifications and that we need to conform. This is being conformed. Changing back to what we asked for help. We asked him to fix us. We asked. Now he's going to do that. And he's going to tell us now from here on out, this is how you operate. As people, we were created gendered. We were created male and female. And he says that specifically because he knew later on in 2022 and since, maybe even earlier, obviously, We would try to erase those things and change those things and mix those things. He even designed specific roles for those genders because he wanted those genders and the children that would come from those genders to represent something biblical, something holy, something Trinity-like, something like God. We were made in his image on purpose. There's a reason he doesn't just, if you know in the garden, they, he formed dirt into Adam and then breathed life into it and it became Adam. Well, he could have continued to do that. We could pop up from seeds. He could have made us propagate any and all sorts of different ways. But as the creator and the designer, he designed us to do things a specific way. I want you to have children. I want a male And a female to come together, and it's interesting how we fit, not to put too fine a point on it here. And then from that mixture, from the male seed to the female egg, coming together to create a new life that was going to come out helpless and is going to require the aid of two adults, a male and a female, to raise this individual, this new person with a new soul, a new DNA. Everything's new. And this would need help, and you'll have to encourage it and help it when it falls down and, and, and correct it and all sorts of things because that's what God has to do. 
And when we accept all these things and see all these things and understand why the designer did all these things, it helps us communicate with the God who created us, which is the whole point. We were designed to worship God as people. Human beings are designed to worship God. And when we're not worshiping God, we're not doing what we were designed to do. That's very important. And so the whole point of Scripture and the whole point of Jesus and the whole point of the way he created things was to give us an antenna, a, a, a blueprint, a, a way to communicate with him and to understand who made us. Now Satan came in immediately into the garden to corrupt and to destroy what God had intended to be a very wonderful life of relating to the creator, of having fellowship with him, to walk in the cool of the day with him as Adam and Eve used to do. They just walk with God. No shame, no guilt, no sin, just walk with him and talk with him. And that was always the design. And Satan hated that and hates people. That is something we always have to remember. Satan is not our friend. He always hates us and he's designing, he's, he's, he's decided to destroy us. So he comes in and he begins to separate the marriage. The first thing he does by speaking to the woman and telling her, you know, you can eat that fruit if you want to. And it goes on from there. God even warns, hey, what you've done after eating this fruit, the sin that's come into your life, the life that you used to have with me, walking in the cool of the day, everything's changed now. It's been corrupted. And it would continue to be corrupted all the way up until where we live today, now in 2022. Satan doesn't have a purpose. It's just to destroy. Whatever God said, he's going to do the opposite of. They're supposed to be male and female? I don't think so. Watch this. You think that a, a marriage is supposed to be, to be, be between one man and one woman? No, I got, I got this. Solely but surely, we've become what we are. The world has. And for the Christian, for the born-again believer... It's getting more and more difficult to stand. We find ourselves less like Abraham on top of the mountain looking down at Sodom and Gomorrah and more like Lot living in it, being vexed, the Bible says. Lot was, or he was vexed by what he saw every day, yet tried to live a godly life in it. But he was vexed by it. So, as a pastor, as someone who teaches the Bible, whose, whose hope is that people's lives continue to conform into the image of Jesus and to become more like what Genesis intended, more like what God intended us to be, because that's your best life, your only life, your only hope. I, I preface this teaching with this monologue here so that you're prepared to be conformed. To let the things that you thought were absolute truths from this world be changed into what God's absolute truth is. To let the worldly stuff go and to say, okay, I accept it, God. I don't exactly understand how it all works out or how, what difference it makes maybe. Is it a small thing? Is it a major thing? But if it's this important to you, the love of my life, the new love of my life, Jesus Christ, by all means, change me. Conform me. Um, this is one of the first. Um, yeah, I've read. I've read this and studied this many times, and um, 
this section of scripture here, chapter 11, verses 1 through 12, was one of the first questions I had as a new believer. I was married to Jenny, um, and we went over to an elder's house. And the elder wasn't very mature in the Lord. Of course, at the time, anybody other than me was more mature in the Lord, so it didn't make any difference to me. I didn't know. But now knowing this, he gave the wrong advice, and he didn't understand the intent of the Scriptures and the heart of why Paul wrote this. Paul is writing to a Corinthian church that is much like ours, like I said, and they are coming out. Some of them former prostitutes, some of them former users of prostitutes, some of them former lovers of boys, lovers of men, former lots and lots of things coming out of this world for the first time. And so Paul is systematically and carefully trying to bring them to a place of maturity by talking to them about some of these more difficult issues. And one of them was the worship of Aphrodite. The Corinthian church, the city of Corinth, the, 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 the God, the deity of that city was Aphrodite, the goddess of love, Greek culture. Greek culture is not culture at all. It's depravity for the most part. We get a lot of things from Greek culture, but this is something we don't want to pick up and take with us. What the, this temple of Aphrodite would do was they could... As a donation, you could donate your slaves to them. And your female slaves, your male slaves would then be given over to this temple Aphrodite and they would be used to bring money into the temple through prostitution, male or female, made no difference. And they would identify themselves as the prostitutes of Aphrodite in this Greek temple by shaving their heads. Shaving your head in and of itself means nothing. It doesn't make neither here nor there in this story or in our culture today. We're beyond that, past that now. But this was to identify. So we have to think of it that way. When we read through this, it is the identifying mark of someone whose sole existence is to bring money into the Greek goddess Aphrodite's temple. It tells everybody what you did for a living what you did by slave, maybe even, by force, human trafficked. And so we need to apply that to our lives as we read through chapter 11 as to what is the identifying thing in this world that people look at you and say, you are that kind of person, and then not to look like that kind of person is the idea. To be careful that you don't identify yourself with the world. So the question is, as Paul is systematically answering the questions that the Corinthians had to him about head coverings, should a woman wear a head covering or not when she prays? So Paul's going to, through the first 12 verses, try to explain why it's important to wear a head covering, why to have long hair, why not to cut your hair, why to do these things in a certain way, because to shave your head is to identify with the prostitutes of Aphrodite, okay? Verse 1, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ, Paul declares after chapter 10. I want you to follow me in my example and how I live, how I become all things to all men. I'm careful not to offend for minor, trivial things. Imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in in all uh, things and keep the traditions just as I delivered them to you. But I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, the head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. 
Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonors his head. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. For that is one and the same as if her head were shaved. For if a woman is not covered, let her also be shorn or shaved. But if it is shameful for a woman to be shorn or shaved, let her be covered. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. For man is not from woman, but woman from man. Nor was man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. For this reason, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. We'll talk about that in a minute. Nevertheless, neither is man independent of woman, nor woman independent of man in the Lord. Believers. For as a woman came from man, even so man also comes through a woman, but all things are from God. So he tries to, in that last verse, verse 12 and 11, or 11 and 12, to temper that blow. That was quite a blow for them to hear. And I imagine tonight it was quite a blow for some of you. Where are we going with this, J.D.? You know. Well, my struggle when I came to the elder with this was, okay, as a new believer in Christ, I was all in. I mean, I was all in. Whatever God said, that's exactly what I wanted to do. And it wasn't because I was a legalist at all. We weren't into that. We weren't into, I want to make sure that I'm legally bound to... No, I want to know what's pleasing to God. If it's pleasing to God, that's how much I love him. I want to do what's pleasing to God. So my honest question to this elder at this dinner with my wife sitting next to me was, should, and Jenny had a bob at the time, should she grow her hair out? Not because I wanted her to or was going to tell her to, but is this inappropriate? Are we living our lives? Is is my hair, is it too short from the Marine Corps? Should I... Leave it long. We had questions. How much of this is physical? How much of this is spiritual? We don't understand. We're new to all this. And he, they got upset that I asked the question because they misunderstood my heart. They thought I was coming from a legalistic thing. Like I was going to put Jenny under my thumb. If anybody knows me and knows my wife, not like that at all. I don't tell Jenny what to do. Jenny, make me a turkey pot pie, you know. No, that's not how it works. But nor is she, make your own turkey pot pie. She's not like that either. (laughs) She would be glad to make it if I asked, but I wouldn't ask because I don't want to treat her like a slave. That's the difference. So my question was honest, is this pleasing to God? And they weren't happy with the question. They didn't understand where we were, and I don't think they were prepared to be the kind of spiritual leaders they were called to be. And since then, they're divorced, by the way. So, no, and they, they of course, they looked right at me. They, they knew what kind of guy I was. I was going to beat Jenny. I was going to, you know, uh, she was going to wear, bare, she's going to be barefoot and pregnant. And, and, and I was going to sit in my easy chair with a beer in my right hand. I mean, this, this, I know that's how they saw me. And they went on and 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 on. But they never answered the question because why is this here? Why is it in the New Testament? Why isn't it important then? What is it? Now, I had stopped at verse 12. Can we finish this? That's all they needed to do that night was to finish this section. 
to answer the question. Because Paul is specifically speaking to those, hey, no, it's not appropriate for you to still dress like a prostitute. No, there is an order in the home. Of course, Jesus is equal to the Father, but his position is under the Father to do the will of the Father, just like the husband is the head of the household and the wife comes alongside to be his helpmeet. But it does not mean that she is inferior. They're equal, of course, different roles, different responsibilities. Here's the, here's the conclusion as Paul says, I've answered your question. Of course, wear your head. Till your hair grows out, till whatever, you need to wear a head covering because you want to represent properly. I hope we understand that in our marriages. Are we representing properly? We use that word a lot. Do you represent? You know, I wear my Chiefs jersey on game day. Represent, you know. Oh, how much more important it is that as our godly husband and wife, we represent properly the order that God has put in, our, put in place on purpose. It isn't about that. It isn't about who gets, this isn't male patriarchy. Well, men wrote the Bible, therefore women got a, They got a raw deal. It's not it. You got much bigger problems in your life if you think men wrote this. You got a lot of problems. You don't have faith. You don't have Christ because everything you know about Jesus Christ comes from this book. And if you can throw this book out, then you don't have Jesus Christ. You have no hope. You have no salvation. Let me finish it so we can get this weight off our shoulders. Judge among yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a dishonor to him? But if a woman has long hair, it is a glory to her. For her hair is given to her for a covering. But if anyone seems to be contentious, we have no such custom, nor do the churches of God. After all of that, Paul says, and by the way, in the church, mm, care. Wear a head covering, don't wear a head covering, have long hair, have short hair. In the churches of God, we don't have any such custom. So the point of this is because of the customs of the world around us, because you're identifying yourself with Jesus Christ, you're trying to be separate from the world, look different from the world, look different. But if you're going to be contentious about it, shave it off. If you don't want to wear a head covering, then don't wear a head covering. We don't wear head coverings here. Some churches require it. Skirts and head coverings, buns and the whole thing, you know. That's legalism because it's not a choice. You can tell it's not a choice because every single woman in the church does it. That's the difference. Suit and tie. I think people would be uncomfortable wearing suit and tie here only because we don't. I should probably start wearing a suit and tie every fourth Sunday just so we can kind of get the idea that it's okay to wear a suit and tie to church. We went a little too far with the flip-flops sometimes, you know. Do I have to buy flip-flops if I come here? Yes, it's required. Everybody wears flip-flops, you know. How relaxed do I have to be to become, come to this church? Super relaxed, you know. No. We have no such custom. It's not a part of the gospel. It has nothing to do with your relationship with Jesus Christ. You can almost hear Paul getting a little frustrated in this sentence, in this section of Scripture. I hear it anyway. You guys are majoring on the minors. They, uh, previously, he's been discussing idolatry. He's been discussing all sorts of things, big deals going on in the church. And they said, now, how short should a woman's hair be? Well, get your tape measure out, you know. We have that today in the church. You try to go to a church, 
as a man with longer hair down to your shoulders? <laughs> Brother, do you know Jesus Christ? I have to put a southern accent on that for a reason. Because if it's below the collar, oh, oh boy, we're praying for your son, you know. You are. Okay, I'm praying for your son too. No need, his hair is cut. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Got it. Got it, because that's the, that's the evidence of the Holy Spirit. Not the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, patience, kindness, self-control. That's not it. That's not it. It's hair length. Mm. So why does Paul take all this time? I mean, why even put this in here if it's not that big of a deal? If you're going to write verse 16, but if anyone seems to be contentious, we have no such custom, nor do the churches of God. He's teaching a whole lot there. Because it's a principle. There's a lot of customs in this world. There's a lot of things that we shouldn't look like, that we shouldn't do. There's a lot of things that go without saying. There's a principle. I've been set free from this world. I'm... The world has a specific plan for every single human being out there, and it's to do this, that, or the other thing to them. It's to uh, tattoo them from head to toe. It's to pierce them from every orifice and every lobe that you can, and things you shouldn't, you know. It's to change them from the image that God created them in, in their beautiful natural state and, and, and to corrupt it and twist it and, and contort it into something other than what God intended. It's to take people's hearts away from seeking the Lord uh, to seeking the world. It's to take them away from being kind to one another in, in, because of love of Jesus and, and, and to be bitter and angry and, and vengeful. It's to steal your joy. If you have any kind of joy, you obviously are unaware or you're in denial of your true life, you know. That's the world's intent. As a Christian, we're called to be different. We're called to look different, act different. It's a struggle to teach because it's a principle. And the, the problem Paul has, I don't think he says it out loud, but it's, it's of, are you born again? Because you have a form of godliness, but you deny the power. There's no power in your life. There's no obvious working of the Holy Spirit in your life, leading and guiding you. It's like you don't understand. You can't, you have to be instructed verbally. You can't be led inwardly by the Holy Spirit. There's a problem with that. I have a problem with that. And Paul has a problem with that. There's a bigger issue here. Doesn't even nature tell you that? Doesn't even the world tell Doesn't Isn't there a still small voice in you telling you things? And if it's not, and if he's not there, there's a problem. Why does that have to be instructed? I don't mean to be dramatic. It's just we're so far in the... I'm having a hard time finding churches that I can fellowship with anymore in this town. And it's not because I'm stuck up and it's not because I'm jealous or any other reason. It's because you, you're light. L-I-T-E, not L-I-G-H-T. There's a difference. Well, we don't think that matters. It does. It absolutely matters. 
These things absolutely matter. These aren't things you can just push away and say are okay or not talk about or avoid. It's, it's mean to me. It's mean to me. It's, it's not that I'm mad that they're not being more legalistic or that they're not beating people hard enough. I think that's how they take it sometimes when I, when I try to bring up the subject. But see, you're not healing people. Jesus came to conform us, to change us from the inside out, and you've stopped for the sake of numbers, to keep people coming, to grow, to inspire through perspiration, not inspiration, to bring people to the foot of the cross because it's fashionable, not because there's a great healing that needs to take place in their lives. We have programs and we have outreaches and we have these things that we're doing But is it for the sake of the person's soul? It's concerning. And I don't want to ever become that one that sits up here and says, well, our church is small and getting smaller because we're so truthful. Oh, that's not right either. There's a balance, but there's a, I don't even know if balance is probably the wrong word. It's more like a double barrel shotgun is what it is. We need to blast with both barrels, a lot of truth and a lot of love at the same time. It's not a balance. It's you know. And it should be shocking. A person who was born again and has accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior, a shocking transformation takes place in their life. It's absolutely stunning to see. People look at that person and say, you're not the same person you used to be. It's identifiable because they look different. They act different. They talk different. They feel different. They love differently. It's obvious that they're born again. It's getting concerning. It gets concerning when this word of God becomes loathsome to people, when it becomes dry. I'm concerned. But be that as it may. That subject that he just covered on head coverings, he says, I want you to do what you're supposed to do and look the part at least, and mainly because you love Jesus, but because of the angels. What does he mean by that? Why would you bring angels into it? I don't mean to get into angelology here, but I, I, we got to do some re-education on angels too, because a lot of people come from the, they think we get wings when we get to heaven, that we become angels when we die as human beings. You do not. You will never be an angel except as a messenger of God. You and me as human beings do not become angels. We don't get wings. We don't, we don't do that. That's not biblical. They're a completely different species. They're completely different. They even have three species as far as we can tell. There's cherubs. There's, uh, what are the other ones? Um, cherubs, seraphim. And what was the other one? Yeah, so you guys don't know either. But there's like three, in the Bible, there's like three different species of these angels within that grouping, and you don't become one of them. And here's why I say that. When he says because of the angels, the angels were created in heaven, always being around God in his presence. All of them were. We don't know how many, but we know there's a ton. Before us, they'd been around before we were. And in this group of beings species, people, things, I don't know how to describe them. They're described in scripture. They had one 
who was named Lucifer, one of the top three. You've got Michael, you've got Gabriel, and we believe Lucifer was the third one in charge. Three leaders. From what we can gather, this is a lot of this is speculation. I'm filling in a lot of gaps, granted. But Lucifer was one that was made more beautiful than all the others. And he was seemed to be sort of a worship person, timbrels for hands and pipes for lungs. So he's wonderful, amazing, beautiful to behold. And he knew it. That was the problem. He recognized it. And he said, I will make myself like the most high. And he usurped, took over, tried to replace the authority of God in heaven. So when he says, I don't want you to do this as a woman, as a man, as a family, I don't want you to usurp the authority. Uh, yes, you were made a little, you know, uh, beautiful and all these things, but I don't want you to take over the authority because angels are watching you and they see this as Christians and they see what's happening here. And all they can say is, oh, don't do that. Lucifer did that. Lucifer tried to make himself like the most high. And look where that got him. And so for the sake of the angels, so that they can have an example for themselves, the angels long to look into our salvation, the scriptures say. It, they long to watch this. As we were created in his, in his image, they long to look at us and say, what is happening here? Because we're made a little lower than the angels. We know we cannot contend with these creatures. 180,000 men died when one angel decided to pick a fight with them. But God sent this angel down to fight for the nation of Israel, he killed 180,000 people. Incredible. So as far as strength goes, it's not, it's not comparable. And yet, God says that we're going to judge angels as people. And so they look at us and they're just like, they're going to judge us? Mm-hmm. They're kind of puny, aren't they? You know? We are being watched. We are being used by God in so many different ways. Your marriage is being observed by kids that have never seen a godly marriage before. They don't know what it's supposed to look like. They've grown up in the world. All they've known is what they've grown up with. And they're looking and they're trying to see what is it supposed to be. What do you mean? Monogamous. What does that mean? It means one man and one woman. Loving each other, you know, caring for one another, following the pattern that God has given us as the husband is the head of the household, that the woman is made to be his helpmeet. And if it bothers you, it's a question you have to ask yourself. Why does it bother you? Most men don't want to be the head of their household. Way too much responsibility. Way too much of a headache. Happy wife, happy life is the world's term they've used. And that's the world's way of saying, just do whatever she wants you to do. It's just easier that way. And so the man steps down from his responsibility, his role. And the woman is more than happy to take up that mantle because that's her sin. His sin is to not do what he's called to do. And her sin is to do what she's not been called to do. And she rises up. We're warned about that in Genesis. That's exactly said. With, you will desire your husband's headship. You will want that. That's going to be your struggle. Still is to this day. And men, our struggle is to care. To fight. 
to lead with love and honor and respect. That's our struggle. And the boys and girls that are under us and around us are looking to see what that's supposed to look like. What does that look like to be chivalrous and not chauvinistic? What's the difference between those two things? And as men, are we showing that to them? Can boys even figure out what it means to be a man, to grow up to be the head of the house? The head meaning I put myself beneath everybody in the home. I serve everybody there. I make sure that they're okay. Their safety, security, and provision is my responsibility. That's mine. Nobody else's. If they don't eat, that's on me. If they're not clothed, that's on me. Of course we rely on God as Christian men. Of course we need him to be our provider, but that doesn't mean we don't attempt and don't do what we're called to do. If a man doesn't provide for his family, he's worse than an unbeliever, Paul says. That's a big deal. Worse than an unbeliever. And as a woman, are we showing our little girls how to be little girls, how to be little women and grow up to be a helpmeet? Are they prepared for that? Or will they go into the marriage battling? Because that's all they've ever seen. Unfortunately, I see that very rarely, very rarely. And I think we all can identify. There are times when in any marriage, you have that usurping of the authority and that willingness to let it go. Sometimes, some days the battle just isn't worth it, you know, unfortunately. Paul teaches a lot in these first 16 verses. That's a lot for the Corinthians to take in. It's a counterculture. You will not hear that anyplace else but from Paul's mouth. That's the only place you're going to get this teaching is from one source, but you've got a thousand other sources in the world screaming, that's not the way to go. That's the wrong way to go. God is a still small voice. He's a quiet, singular voice that will tell us the truth. And the world and Satan has a thousand other voices that will tell us otherwise. And we need to learn to hear that still small voice and understand it. And why he does what he does. And that it's always for our benefit. And the beauty that's there. If I am made to be a hammer, I better start hammering stuff. If I'm made to be a vice grip, I better start gripping, you know. When we switch those two roles up, neither of us are doing what we're made to do. All of us are frustrated and we break in the process of being used that way because we're not being used by design. We've gone away from the engineer's specifications thinking we know better and we've injured ourselves. It's very important. Verse 17. Now in giving these instructions, I do not praise you since you come together Not for the better, but for the worse. When they come together as a church, when they come together as a body, he says, you're not trying to build each other up. It ends up being worse than if you'd ever come together at all. For first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And in part, I believe it. For there must also be factions among you that those who are approved may be recognized among you. There are already divisions. We don't have to create any more. There are those that follow God wholeheartedly and love him with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. And there are others that are playing church. That division's obvious when you come together. You can see that. But Paul's saying it's beyond that. I see dividing up into groups, 
you know, this, that, or the other thing defines you. I've always had a hard time with that, and I've always gotten flack for it. That's okay. We divide each other up by gender. As if there's some difference as a Christian. No, wait, you just said genders are different. No, 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 you don't understand. When it comes to following Jesus Christ, we all get the exact same teaching. We all do the exact same thing. None of us are called to pray differently. If you're female, you don't pray any differently than a man prays. If a man prays, he doesn't pray any differently than a woman prays. You pray and you worship the same. We divide each other economically, you know. Well, yeah, they're rich. They can afford to tithe. We can't tithe. No, no, tithe is a percentage. It's a percentage. It has nothing to do with whether you're wealthy and can afford it or poor that can't. It's 10% for anybody, and that's the law. We're way beyond the law on that. We divide ourselves by age. Well, you got the gray hairs over here, and then you got the young folks over here, and the gray hairs watch the young people, and we shake our head, and the young people look over the gray hairs, and they shake their head. We divide over age. Read the book of Acts and see how many divisions you find in the church. That teaching is counterculture to Christianity in 2022. We divide up for everything. I got an old restored car, so this is the old restored car club. In the name of Jesus. We're the barbecue club in the name of Jesus. We're the fishing club in the name of Jesus. That's fine to do all that stuff on your own, but the church, it's not, not supposed to be here. We're supposed to come together here. We don't come together to divide. We come together at the church. You can be a part of a car club. That's wonderful. Nothing wrong with that. Be a part of a fishing club. There's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with any of those things. It's when you expect the church to be the monitor and to be the overseer and to be the divider. Mm, no, that's not biblical. It's not scriptural. Therefore, when you come together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of the other. And one is hungry and the other is drunk. What? Exclamation point. He's so frustrated. Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Do that at home. Gorge yourself at home. Show how rich you are at home with your beef tenderloin and your wine and whatever it is that you're enjoying over there. But don't do that here. That's not what we're supposed to be doing here. Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. So he's mad. They're talking about like a potluck. They're not talking about like communion. Like what we have, you know, the Lord's Supper. We call it the Lord's Supper. He's going to talk about that in a minute. Right here he's talking about like a potluck. So we show up, you know, and, 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 and the rich people, they walk in and they, they lay down their steak. And they slapped the hand of the poor guy who tried to grab a steak. That's my steak. I just put it on the table so everybody knew I had steak. And then the poor guy comes with, you know, his, his, his heel of a bread. And he's offering it up because he thinks he can trade it for steak. There's a problem, you know. So these people come in and they come in and they go through the line. They grab everything. He's like, what are you doing? This is not right. This is not how it's supposed to be. We come together in Jesus Christ to have a fellowship meal, to fellowship. Poor people, rich people, men, women, young, old, everybody come together and, and worship Jesus together the way he designed it, the way he's called us to. Because he's saying the way you're doing it now, do you despise the church of God, the body of Christ? 
Do the thumbs all sit together? Do the eyes all sit together? Do the noses all sit together? Do we spread out and we're the body of Christ? I don't praise you in this. Now let's talk about the Lord's Supper. And so he switches gear from their potluck, which ends up being kind of a potluck food fest kind of thing. For I received from the Lord that that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Well, that changes things a little bit, doesn't it? Not sticking your fork in the meat and grabbing everything you can grab because you're the first in line. Oh, rhubarb pie. You know, better start at this end and get all the good stuff, you know, so it's not gone by the time I get there. Now we're changing it. No, no, no. Let's just have bread and juice. And he's explaining to them, you understand what we're doing? It's the broken body of Christ. It's the shed blood of Jesus Christ. That brings a little sobriety to the moment, a little, a little honor, a little respect. Slows things down. This is his broken body that you're gorging on and fattening yourself up with. Do that at home with your own food. When we're coming together, this this is to be fellowship time. This is to be, we're of one body. We're all broken. We're all covered by the blood of Jesus. So he tells him in verse 27, Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Well, we want to know what that is, don't we? What's an unworthy manner? And I've taught this several times, but I'll teach it again because we're here we are in Scripture, but it is not as a sinner. That's when we do eat the body and drink the blood or eat the bread and drink the cup and do this in remembrance of what Christ did on the cross. That's the exact time when we do reach out because we know we need help because we're sinners. That's not the unworthy manner. Unworthy doesn't mean sinning. Unworthy means you disregard it. You have no respect for it. Now, we have a problem here at our church. We do things wrong, I think. And I have a hard time breaking away from it. I struggle with it. It's tradition. But normally, we should have communion on Wednesday nights. For most part, this is a believer's meeting. This is where we know everybody in the room is a believer. And we don't have to tell people to put it on the floor if you're not a believer. On a Sunday morning, that's a mixed multitude. You've got unbelievers, believers, you've got all sorts of people in the room, and you're trying to preach the gospel and get people saved as well as encourage others in their walk. But when we hand out communion and tell them, hey, by the way, an unworthy manner means you don't believe in Jesus. You really ought not to eat or drink this because you don't believe in Jesus. Put it on the ground. Well, that's, of course you're going to offend somebody to say that. No, I, I don't want you to be offended, but I don't want you to eat in an unworthy manner, which means you, you disregard the body of Jesus Christ and the blood of Jesus. You, you have no respect for the sacrifice that you made. You haven't applied him to your life. You haven't received him as your Savior. You're not born again. That's the unworthy manner. We're proclaiming the Lord's death, and you don't care about his death. You need to put it down. You're guilty of the body and blood of the Lord when you eat that bread and you drink that cup because that's what everybody's doing and you think it's snack time. You're guilty of it. You say, I know what this means and I know what this means and I could care less. Then you are guilty. You are the crucifier. You are the, you are 
not in a good place with the Lord. Now, Paul picks it up here, as we all should. If you're in that place and you happen to be old holding the bread and the cup in your hand, and you're thinking, I better set this down on the ground. I better not eat this because I'm not a believer. Paul simply says, wait, stop before you set it down. But let a man examine himself. And so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself. Yes, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you and die. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may, be, that we may not be condemned with the world. You've got it in your hands already. Why not consider it? Why not consider your place in with God? Are you in fellowship with him? Do you love him with all your heart? Are you a born-again believer? Are you changed? Are you radically transformed? Have you confessed your sin to him and received that forgiveness? If you have, you've examined yourself. You've judged yourself. My life is full of sin. That's judging yourself. I'm, I, I'm condemned. I know that I sinned against God. I've done that. Now I'm eating and drinking in a worthy manner because I realize I need a Savior and I've trusted in Jesus for that salvation. Now I understand the broken body and the shed blood that it was necessary for me to go to heaven to receive this offering, this sacrifice that Christ did on the cross for my sins. I understand that. Now, eat and drink. Paul is actually being evangelical. Don't set it down. But if you refuse to accept Christ today, if you refuse to follow him, then yeah, you need to set it down so that you don't eat and drink judgment. Because there's a lot of people, he says, in the church doing this, and they're sick and dying. Pretty strong words. It's a big deal to God. For me to accept and believe what Christ has done is a very big deal. As a father, he gave his son to be a sacrifice for someone who hated him. That's us. And when that person who hates him doesn't understand what's taken place here, the sacrifice that the father gave, the sacrifice that the son gave, that's offensive to him. That bothers him. It isn't something that he overlooks. Well, I know you don't get it. Oh, well, have, it, you know, have an extra piece of bread on me. It's offensive when the world doesn't understand this. To reject Christ isn't just to be open-minded and open to all sorts of things that the world has to do. It's to be offensive to Jesus. It's to shake your fist at God in his way of salvation. It's to reject him and to reject his love. That's offensive. Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. Don't rush to the line. Don't scarf it all down. Don't get as much as you can. But if anyone is hungry... If you're starving and you can't wait to get your food, this is, let him eat at home, lest you come together for judgment, and the rest I will set in order when I come. There's more to set in order. He says, that's enough. That's all I can say to you right now on this. That's a, it's a lot. I want you to wait for one another. It's a very simple principle. We come together for a purpose. If I'm hungry and starving, then, then grab something you know, at home. You know, don't, don't see the, the bread come by and, and, you know, fill it. I'm going to take three or four of those. You know, that, you always see that in the, in the movies where the guy comes by with the hors d'oeuvre tray and some, there's some guy going, you know, and grabs them all. Don't be that person. If you're hungry, eat before you come. But let's understand what this is and what we're doing here. 
We're eating and drinking and remembering the Lord's death when he comes. We're taking that time. Now, next week we begin a very special section. And I have books out there. And I've had them out there for a while. Chapters 12, 13, and 14 are about spiritual gifts and about the work of the Holy Spirit in the believer's life. And we need to know this. This is what makes us a powerful church. This is what makes us a weak church, if we're not careful. This is very important because otherwise we're going to be just, well, in word only without the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And that's ineffective. So I'd encourage you, if you haven't grabbed one of those books out there yet, to simply explains 12, 13, and 14. It's a wonderful little supplemental, but you don't need it. The Holy Spirit can be your teacher and guide also. It's not vital that you have it. it. It's a helper, though. It does help. That's why I got it. Jim and June Hesterly, who wrote the book, Jim wrote the book, used to lead Pastor Chuck Smith's Afterglows at Costa Mesa, California. Um, those are times of refreshing, times of waiting on the Lord. We call them prayer and worship nights here at our church, but this is a time to wait and let the Holy Spirit move how he wants to. And those are important. But it takes someone who's filled with the Holy Spirit to lead one of those things. And he wrote this book. It's wonderful. Just a very basic but very good understanding of what the church should have, what the church should look like. And we desire that. But you have to be on board. One of the scriptures that says, it's important, the the spirit of prophecy is subject to the prophet, which is a, most people don't know what that means. And so it just means that even though you may be able to prophesy, if you refuse to as the prophet, you can. I don't have to. I'm not forced. We only see that once or twice. We see Saul prophesying even, you know, probably against his own will, whatever. That's a rarity. But the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet, which means if I have a gift of the Holy Spirit, I don't have to exercise it. We have to choose to. We believe what God's given us and we do it because he's told us to or because he's given it to us. But I'm not required to. I'm not forced to. And so that's why an understanding of 12, 13, and 14 are very important for a church so that we don't ever rely on our own strength and our own abilities. We'll coast and we'll die. Very important. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for um, Paul's boldness to share something that would have been very difficult for the Corinthians and, in fact, has now become very difficult for the church today to receive and to follow and to obey, to understand that it's for our best, to look at these positions, these genders that you've given us, one male, one female, to see that there's roles and responsibilities that you've given to each, to reflect you in heaven, to see the world for the world to see and for angels to see. This is what it's supposed to look like. This is what it, this is what was intended. And that's what we want to do. We want to reflect that here on this world. Many won't come to know you, Lord. We know that your word says so, but many will. And men are look, many are looking for this. And we need to show them. We need to be light, L-I-G-H-T, not light, L-I-T-E. Help us to be strong, powerful lights in this world, God. Obedient to your word, submitted to your word but happily. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you need prayer before you go, please come up. Be glad to pray with you. Otherwise, have a good rest of the week.